Thanks, worship team. Y'all do a great job of leading us in worship of the Lord. Always appreciate them. Uh, Cootsie, thanks for leading. Uh, the worship team is Cootsie's first day to be leading, so not to embarrass Cootsie, but uh, thank you. So um, we always celebrate people using their gifts and their abilities for the kingdom purposes, so we're, we're grateful for that. Well, for those of you I don't know, my name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and it truly is an honor and a joy uh, to get to be with you here on Sundays, to be able to pastor and uh, be a part of leading IEC. Um, IEC is a unique church, and God has been working here in so many ways for so many years, and we are in a unique series right now. Typically, as a church, we walk through books of the Bible. Meaning we'll, we'll get a book of the Bible and walk chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we don't want to hear from a man. We want to hear from God Almighty. God, what do you have to say to us? And if you've been with us any time, you know that every Sunday we open our service with the exact same words. Because we want these words to be on our hearts and on our minds, and we don't want to wonder from them. As a church... We're always in danger of the enemy leading us to drift from our mission, drift from our purpose. So we state each week our mission, and our mission is this, to make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. That's what we exist to do. That's what we aim to do as a people. We don't do it perfectly, but we want to keep that before us as a church lest we drift. Well, today... We are in the midst of a about six-week series on disciple-making, on that very heart of our mission that we are a church that seeks to make disciples. That's our heartbeat of the nations. And one of the beautiful things about IEC is we are a church of many nations. And that's a beautiful thing. Because we come from nations, and we come from people groups, and we come from diverse backgrounds. We even come from backgrounds where our nations at times may not see eye to eye. But we get together in worship here because we are one in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. So I celebrate that every week. Well, last week we looked at Jesus' first call upon his disciples. And his calls to his disciples are very simple. They're not complex. They're meant to be easily lived out. And his first call was simply this. Come and see. Very simple. Come and see that he is the Messiah. Come and see that he indeed is the Lamb of God. Well, today, we're going to look at another call of Jesus. And this call is equally as simple. Yet it's a call... That if you heed it, if you live it out, if you are faithful in this call, you will look back over our fleeting days on earth, over the few days that God has given you, and you'll look back and be amazed that God has been faithful with your life to use it for His glory and His purposes. So today we're in Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. This same narrative is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, and it's recorded in Luke as well, but we're reading from Mark. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. The words will be on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along there. Hear the Word of God. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Lord, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak here today, nothing of significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we saw John the Baptist, and he has some disciples of his own, and he looks at those disciples and he says these words, Behold, Take hold of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And those disciples begin to follow after Jesus. And Jesus gives them this simple, glorious invitation. Come and see. And what the disciples came to see was that Jesus, indeed, He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. He's the one that they've been waiting for. Now today we pick up short time after that and it says John the Baptist he has been arrested John the Baptist is one of the last he's the last of the Old Testament prophets if you read through the Old Testament prophets they are called to do peculiar things they'll dress strange they'll eat strange food they'll do strange things and that's what John the Baptist did and he will die a death just like an Old Testament prophet John is bringing together the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures and saying they all are meant to point to one person, that is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the entirety of the Old Testament. All our hopes, all our anticipations, they are found in Christ. And he points to Jesus. Well, John the Baptist did ministry in the desert. The desert area where he did it was outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus has now traveled up to Galilee. That's where most of Jesus' ministry would take place. He would do much in Jerusalem, but you would often find when he would go to Jerusalem, trouble would stir up. And since Jesus' time hadn't come yet, he would go up to Galilee. And that's where he goes today. And he has a message. And his message is very simple. It's very easy for us to gather and understand, yet it's deep. It's, it's rich. It penetrates our hearts. It penetrates our souls. It changes our whole life. And his message, it says he's proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, if you've been here any length of time, you'll hear us often mention that word gospel. It's a powerful word. It's a biblically rich word. As, as Christians, that's what our life centers upon is the gospel. And it's a word that simply means good news. One of the things I ask people often 
when I'm meeting with people and talking about the, the spiritual condition of their soul or how they came to faith, I'll often ask them, hey, can you tell me the gospel? What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? How would you explain that to somebody? And I'm often amazed that people who've been in church a long time, faithful men and women, to begin to explain the gospel is a, is a difficult thing for them. But yet it's so simple and it's so beautiful. And Jesus right here in these words explains it. He says, first, the time is fulfilled. What time is he talking about? The Old Testament, all that it was pointing to, he's arrived. That time is fulfilled. Then he says this, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, those are interchangeable. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it is at hand. What that means it started it's about to happen but it's not here fully it's not here fully and that's where we find ourselves today the kingdom is here yet it's not here fully what do we mean by that it's a kingdom that is already here the kingdom of God is already here yet it's not here in its fullness what we mean is when a person is a Christian and they've trusted Christ, we live by a different kingdom standards. The Sermon on the Mount is our kingdom ethic. We live to love our neighbor. We live to love God. We are a taste to this world out here of what the kingdom of God is like. But the kingdom of God is not here in its full. It doesn't take very much for us to figure that out. You, you go out and you look on our streets and you look in our nation. You see fighting. We see disease. We see economic hardship. No, no, the, the kingdom, we see poverty. The kingdom is not here. Not in its full. And we are to be a taste to a hurting, dying world of the kingdom of God. The church. We're not perfect but when people experience us, they're to experience a taste of a kingdom that is to come. That's one reason it's so beautiful that we get to come together. People from many nations gather to worship God. I tell you, our enemy always wants to bring division among the nations, division among the peoples. He loves doing that. Why? Because in Revelation, we see one day every tribe, tongue, and nations come in together. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's the message. Repent and believe in the gospel. Christian, we need to preach no other message. Don't think you need to dress up this message. Don't think you can make it more attractive in some sort of way. No, when the message is, full, is understood, when God illumines a person, it's fully engaged and fully understood. It's effective. Because the first thing he says is repent. Listen to that word repent. Repent involves this. Seeing your sin and actively turning and going the other way. You were headed this way. You were headed the wrong direction. You acknowledge it and you turn and go the opposite direction. You're headed into sin. You see, to understand the good news of the gospel, you have to start with some awful horrific, terrible news, the worst news you'll ever hear in your life. That because you're a sinner, because you've lied, because you've cheated, because you've stolen, because you've gossiped, because you've lived for your own glory, 
because you've coveted, because you've lusted. Because of this, we have rebelled from God and we deserve eternal separation from Him. We were headed the wrong direction. And repentance involves acknowledging, I'm headed the wrong way. And I've got to turn. And I've got to go to Jesus. He's the only one I can go to. Because Jesus, He never sinned. No coveting, no lusting, no lying, no cheating, no stealing, no uh, any of those. No, He lived a perfect life and yet He went to the cross and He died the death a sinner deserves, taking the wrath of God in our place. You see, you've got to know the bad news. The bad news is you're hopeless. Left to yourself. You have no hope. It's terrible news. It's awful. But when we know the bad news, we know how great and magnificent and glorious the good news is. The good news is that God himself has made a way for your sin to be dealt with in Christ. I can't do anything to make that message any sweeter or any greater than it already is. It's glorious. When I was without hope, Jesus came to the rescue. And all I can do is this, repent and believe the good news. Church, I call us to that. For the Christian, repentance is a lifestyle. Oh, we're forgiven in Christ once and for all, but we continually, when we see our sin, repent. And for those who don't know the Lord, I call you repent. See your sin. See your hopelessness. And see a glorious, gracious, kind, loving Savior who's made a way for you to be right with God. That's Jesus' message. Church, that's the message on our lips. When you leave here, wherever God has placed you, that's the message you take. And Jesus, it says, He's in Galilee in verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They're casting their net into the lake. Why? It tells us because they were fishermen. He wants to emphasize these guys are fishermen. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you don't see fishermen. The Jewish people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were terrified of the water. They never went out on the sea. In fact, God told them to take the promised land, and the part of the promised land that they never took was the part along the coast. They didn't like the water. They were afraid of it. They called it the abyss. They believed it was chaotic. They believed it was like Hades. All that to say, it takes a person with some boldness, with a little bit of fortitude to go, I'm going out there fishing. Everybody else thinks this is crazy. I'm going to go fish. And these first four disciples that Jesus calls, these two pairs of brothers, they are all fishermen. They're fishing along the Sea of Galilee. This week I uh, took a trip with a couple of folks here and Sammy, our, our youth uh, leader. We went down to a place called Lake Lugano. Some of you may have seen Lake Lugano. I never had till this Monday. But when I went there, I was struck by how it reminded me of the Sea of Galilee. You see, the Sea of Galilee is, is more like a lake. It's not very big. It's, it's slightly bigger than Lake Lugano. But like Lake Lugano, the water can get rough really quickly. 
You get a breeze down in there and the water gets so rough on the Sea of Galilee that no one wants to be on there. It can overturn a boat quite quickly. And these disciples, they would go out on the sea to fish. They were bold. They were courageous. They did things others were unwilling to do. And those are the first people that Jesus calls. These guys that other would, others would honestly look down upon. And Jesus has a message for them. Again, I think we're to be struck by the simplicity of this. Because oftentimes we, we want to make the Christian life far more complex than what Jesus intended it to be. Now it is very, the Christian life is very deep, it's very rich. But at its core, it's a very simple message with a very simple lifestyle. Here's what he says, follow me. Follow me. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Just follow me. Walk with me. Travel with me. Be with me. Come with me. Follow me. It doesn't get any easier. But then listen to Jesus. He tells them his intent. He has a reason that he wants them to follow him. And here's the reason. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In all of Jesus' ministry, there's only one thing he said he would make the disciples into. Only one. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you more holy. He didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you more spiritual. Follow me and I'm going to make you more honest. I'm going to make you more disciplined. Follow me, I'll make you a better person. Follow me and I'll make your life more comfortable. Follow me and I'll make you wealthier. Follow me and I'll make you smarter. He did not say any of that. He simply said this, follow me and I will make you into a fisher of men. And that's sort of a strange phrase. If you've been in church, you've heard it before. And sometimes we can lose how peculiar that is. He's going to make them into a fisher of men. These guys go and catch fish in the water. They bring them in. They clean them. They skin them. And they sell them at market. What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying you're going to go catch men. That's what Luke's gospel says. From now on, you guys are going to catch men. You're going to be fishing for the kingdom of God. That's the work you're going to do. And church, that's the same calling Jesus has on you. People will talk about God's called me to this, God's called me to that. I often go, I don't know. We can get quite goofy with God calling us to stuff. But here's what I can tell you for sure God has called you to. God has called you to follow him, to follow Christ. That's for sure. That's a given. Follow him. But as you do, as you follow him, He's going to do something in you over time. He's going to build you. He's going to make you into a fisher of men. That's what he's going to do. That's his plan. And what we're going to see with these disciples is over the next three and a half years, they're going to be turned into fishers of men. Now, now look in, in verse 18 and again in verse 20, it says the word immediately. He calls these two groups of fishermen, two pairs of brothers, to follow him, and immediately they leave everything and follow him. Now, doesn't that strike you as peculiar? If somebody came to your place of work and said, hey, come follow me, how many of you would instantly walk out the door and go, I'm going to follow him? I venture to say most of us would say, 
I'm not going to follow you. I don't know what you're about, what you're doing, what you're wanting. These guys instantly follow Jesus, and it's for a few reasons. One, last week we saw that Jesus invited them to come and see. They already knew he was the Messiah. They just weren't following him. They knew he was a Messiah, but they weren't his disciples. This is an invitation to discipleship. Follow me. So when the Messiah says, follow me, you go, yes, sir. I'll follow you wherever. Even if I don't understand what you're going to do in my life, I'll follow you. I don't understand the implications of following Jesus fully. He's going to transform you and change you. Another thing, in Jewish culture... You would want your children to be a rabbi. The greatest celebrities of the day, the highest calling of the day was to be a rabbi. The rabbis were the stars of Israel. And here comes a rabbi saying, follow me and you can be like me. You see, the Jewish educational system, at about age five, they would take young people and they would say, we're going to stuff them with Torah. We're going to teach them the first five books of the Bible. And by age 10, you were to have the entirety of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. Now, some are looking, thinking that sounds hard. I'm not very good at memorization. Well, I get a lot of us don't think we're very good at memorization. But most of us memorize songs with almost no effort. So we, we, can, we can memorize things, and, and they were to memorize the entirety of the Torah, and then from 10 to 13, they'd memorize the entirety of the Old Testament. And they were to learn the art of question and answer. And by age 14, if you were the brightest and the best of the best in doing that, a rabbi would look at you and say, you can follow me. You can be like me. Come follow me. But if at some point you did not have what it took, a rabbi would look at you and say, listen, you go be a carpenter with your dad. You go be a fisherman with your dad. Because you're not going to make it as a rabbi. And these boys, uh, young men here, uh, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they're fishing. Because at some point, somebody looked at them and said, you don't have what it takes. Go ply your trade. Go be a fisherman. And here comes a rabbi saying, I think you've got what it takes. I think you can be like me. And that's just like Jesus. For many, we look and we go, God can't use a person like me. He can't use a person with my story, my background, my struggles, my challenges. And he looks and goes, you can become like me. Just follow me. It's so simple. Just follow me. And I will make you. Jesus will do the work. He'll do it in us and through us. And a third reason why I think they followed Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus had just done a huge miracle. These fishermen had been fishing all night long. And here comes a carpenter and he says, Hey, I know now's not a good time to fish. It's not the time you catch fish. But throw your net on the other side of the, of the boat. And they pull in such a big crop of fish that they can barely get it in. Their boat's almost overturned. And it's in light of that miracle that Jesus then calls them and says, follow me. So it's no surprise that these guys would leave everything, abandon it all, and follow them. Because here's what Christ does. 
Jesus, when we're following Jesus, he takes all the mundane activities of our day-to-day life between birth and death, and he turns them on their head where they're used for God's eternal purposes and glory. He takes things that seem normal, that seem routine, and he uses them for eternal glory, eternal purposes. The things in your life that you look and go, hey, I just go to the same place of work every day. I just do the same thing. I just live in this neighborhood. God has put you there. He's placed you in all these things for a reason and for a purpose. And he says, follow me right where you are. Jesus had a simple strategy for these guys. In Mark 3.14, we get a little bit more of his strategy. In Mark 3.14, it says this. Jesus designated 12, calling them to be apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus calls them apostles, first disciples, but then apostles. Apostle is a word that means a messenger. So they have a message that they're to go take. It also means sent one. So they are sent to take a message. That's Jesus' plan for them. But before they can go take that message, they're going to be with him for three and a half years, learning from him. This is how Jesus does discipleship. He simply says, hey, just be with me. Just just be around me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to show you how to become a fisher of men. And these guys were terrible at it when they started. Jesus is about to preach a sermon, and they get rid of all the children. Children, you get out of here. And Jesus is like, that was going to be my illustration, guys. Can you bring them back? They try to cast a demon out of someone and they come back and go, what do we do? And Jesus goes, did you pray? These guys struggle. But over time, Jesus builds them into fishers of men. He starts off and Jesus' strategy was this. First he would say, hey guys, just watch me do stuff. Listen to me teach. Watch me do miracles. Just watch. And then he says, hey, I'm going to do things, but I need you to help. You go do this. You go do this. You help me. And then he looks at him and says, listen, I'm not giving them something to eat. 5,000 people here, you feed them. I'll help you. And Jesus says, you're going to do it and I'm going to help you. And then next week we'll see that Jesus finally says, listen, you've got this. I'm going to leave. And you guys are going to continue on in ministry. You are going to continue to faithfully fish for men. That's what I built you to do. I built you to be fishers of men. And they'll go and do that faithfully. We're here today as a church. 2,000 years. After Jesus called these men to follow him. And we're here because they were faithful. We're here because Jesus' plan worked. We're here because they became fishers of men. We're here because they made disciples of the nations. And it spread and it spread and it spread until we're here today. And today we have the same marching orders. Follow Jesus, and he's going to make you into a fisher of men. How do you follow Jesus? We pray. We're in his word. And just like Jesus discipled his guys, we need someone to invest in us, to disciple us. Christianity is not meant to be lived in isolation, to live alone. You need people. You won't grow in your faith very far if it's just about you. You need someone that encourages you, that challenges you, that knows you. Christianity is a relational, 
has a relational dynamic to it. Jesus picked 12. I'm going to be close to these 12. I'm going to know these 12. I'm going to know their challenges. I'm going to know their joys. I'm going to know their hurts. I'm going to be able to speak to each one of them in a unique way. You need people that know you like that. I'll say often that I believe discipleship starts in the home because that's where parents are with their children. God's designed it that way, but it goes beyond that. Discipleship is something that happens throughout our lives. As we follow Jesus, we follow people who are following him. Uh, The man who discipled me, I remember one time he said to me, you only need to be one or two steps ahead of the person you're investing in. He would tell me, he said, hey, just find somebody that knows less than you do. Find somebody who's, who's not as far along. Maybe they're younger than you. And invest in them. And there's a beauty investing in the next generation, helping raise them up. We've talked about, for the last few weeks, there's three things I ask of all who call IEC home. If you say, this is my church. This is my home. I'm here. Three things, and I believe in every one of these, they all have a discipleship dimension to them. First, we ask that you attend worship. This is where we gather as a family to worship God. Scripture says don't forsake the assembly of the righteous. We're not to to leave this. This is an important part of our spiritual life. But it's not the totality of our spiritual life. It can't be. We ask also that you be in a group or in some sort of community where you're known, loved, and cared for. Where people can look at you like, like Jesus did with the 12 disciples and they, they, they know your personality. They know some of your struggles. They know some of your joys. We need people like that in our lives. And third thing we're asking you is to serve. We believe the Christian life, we are to be poured out. We are to serve. We are to do kingdom work. And we realize many of you are doing amazing kingdom work as soon as you leave these walls, and we praise God for that. And some of you may be in a season where you need rest when you come to church rather than to serve, and we understand that. That's okay. At the same time, we believe most, many, can serve in some capacity, some way, once a month with our children, with our youth, with greeting people, with welcoming people, with worship, all sorts of things we have to serve in. But we need the body to be investing in the church. The church is not to be a place that's built and run by the elders only. No, it's to be a place where the body all engages. We're all involved. So we invite you to that. We believe that's part of your discipleship. As you serve beside others, and I can bring you to people who have experienced this, I see the majority of discipleship I've seen happening at IEC are from people who serve together. They serve on the worship team together. They serve as ushers together. And they begin to get to know one another. And we begin to see those things happen. But I want to tell you how we're attempting to do this as a church. I make no claims that we'll do this perfectly. But we want to have some places where discipleship can begin to happen. And realize it takes time and realize it won't look perfect like Jesus did because Jesus spent three years with these guys 24-7. We're not going to be able to do that. But we still need one another. So at 9 o'clock worship service and 1130, 
Starting next week, we'll start our children's programs. We love having children in worship. I believe it's strategic. I believe it's part of discipling your kids, is having them sit beside you in worship, them learning. We know, parents, it's a bit distracting. Now, for ages uh, three and under, we have the nursery open. That's open the whole time because we realize little bitty babies, that's, you know, they're not quite ready to be trained yet. But we believe at age three or four, you can even begin to train them to be here. Midway through service, we'll have a children's dismissal. So for children, ages 10 and below, you'll be dismissed at that point. Now, we would encourage as many who can, ages 6 to 10, to be a part of worship. Parents, you know your child best. Your child may not be ready to sit in here through the sermon. They may be better with our children's ministry. That's great. But we want to help train children to be here worshiping. Now, congregation, I've said this before. That requires a couple things. Children are distracting at times. So we're going to be patient with that. And parents, we need your help. We need you to teach your child to be in here, to be attentive, to not let them run around. If they start to make too much noise to deal with that, you all are doing a great job with that, and we're thankful for that. So at the 9 o'clock service, we'll have an Amaric children's class. We will add English if it's needed and if we get leaders to do that. So no, we're open to adding a 9 o'clock English class. Right now, we're only doing Amaric. That's because of need and space issues. Here at 11, we'll have an English children's Sunday school. So that'll be happening at uh, 11.30. And kids will be dismissed halfway through. Between services, we realize we're a church that because many people come from all over the city and it can take a while to drive in this city, that Sunday morning we want to utilize as best possible to help people connect, to get to know one another, and to create space for discipleship relationships to happen. Discipleship relations happen best naturally, where you get to know somebody and you hear them and it starts to develop a relationship where you want to learn more from that person. So on Sunday mornings, we're going to have a few options between services. Between services, we'll have something from everybody from birth till death. We'll have a children's worship in here, in this room, between service. It'll be from ages 4 to 10. We realize that's a broad age range, but our hope is that if it grows and we get enough leaders, we'll divide it into two. Again, we have space issues. Our CE building needs repairs. We're working toward getting that done. We're hoping to build a youth building. So there's needs here at IEC, and one of those needs is for space. So that limits some of what we can do. But between services, we'll have a children's church. For ages 11 and 12, we'll have a pre-teen class. It'll meet right over here in room 113. For our middle school youth and our high school youth, we'll have... Uh, youth class for you all. This will meet back here in the corners. That's between service. Now for adults, we have currently we have three options for adults between services. We'll add more as need be. But this is where we're starting. And again, space is, limits some of what we can do. We're doing an ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship. We've had those going for a long time. If you're in ABF, here's how I want you to approach it. This is a place for me to hear the Word of God taught and to get to know people in such a way that it'll prayerfully lead to deeper 
relationship. A relationship where I can help somebody mature in Christ's likeness and they can help me. We want to see that grow. We have a, a class called How to Study the Bible that's intentional. It twofold on that. It'll help you know how to study the Bible. But we don't want you to stop there. Anything you learn, we want you to be thinking, who can I pass this on to? Who needs to learn to study the Bible that I can teach? Maybe my children. Maybe, maybe it's somebody that lives in my neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody I can teach the Bible to. And that class will go till December. We're going to have a prayer. Uh, we've had that going. It's a family discipleship prayer, but anyone can attend uh, between services. That's important. Do you realize as Jesus discipled his 12 apostles, they only requested he teach them one thing. Only thing the disciples ever said to teach us. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us to do miracles, teach us to give sermons. No, they said, teach us to pray, Jesus. We see how your prayer life makes a difference. So we have a prayer uh, group. And then we have what's called next steps training. My hope is that everybody ends up in a group where they're known, loved, cared for, where you see some of these discipleship elements taking place in that group. It may take a while. Be patient with it. It may take a while for you to get to know people well enough where you open up and where they open up to you and where you really get encouraged and challenged to grow in your faith. Be patient. But we want to see those things happen. We have three ways to help you get in a group. And if these three ways don't work for you, tell us some other way. We don't, this is all we've sort of figured out, okay? First, some of you are already in groups. Praise the Lord. We're not going to say you've got to join another group here at our church. If the group is helping you grow in your faith, grow in discipleship, amen. Praise God. On that same note, some of you may form your own groups. You may look and go, hey, I, I would love these people live in my neighborhood or they live near me. I'm going to form my own group. Praise the Lord, that's great. I'll tell you, we love for our groups to be diverse, age-wise, nationality, all those ways. But at the same time, we realize that sometimes groups need to maybe be focused. Maybe you've got little bitty kids and you need somebody else with little bitty kids that you can go, this is hard. I'm in the season where I've got teenagers and I need somebody around me that goes, hey, how are you figuring this out? I need some folks that can help me. and I need some folks ahead of me. So our needs in different seasons of life of what we're looking for may vary. So we place a blessing upon you forming your own group. If you need help, if you go, hey, I can form a group, but I don't know what to study, what we should go through, talk to Pastor Mike, talk to myself. We want to help you. We've got materials. That's not the issue. Second way you can get into a group you can email Pastor Mike and just say, hey, I want to be in a group. And he'll ask you some questions. He'll help figure out a group for you to be in. It may take some time because we've got to figure out where these groups meet, when they meet. So be patient with Pastor Mike. But we're, we're happy to help you get in a group. And third, and this is one if you can't do either one of these others, I think you can at least do this one. Pastor Mike, between services, will be running what we call Next Steps Training. That Next Steps Training is 12 weeks of training designed to launch a group. So you'll be in a group. Pastor Mike will put you in a group. 
And some of our other elders are helping Pastor Mike. So our elders will be leading this. They'll put you in a group, and then they'll look at you, and they'll say, hey, this week, here's what you're going to do in your group. And they'll coach you. And you'll come back for 12 weeks. You'll come back week after week. Pastor Mike will have you in a group, and he'll coach you in how to be a group. So that when you're done, he'll look at you and go, do y'all want to be a group? Do y'all want to continue? So it's a great way to launch groups. So we really, again, as we start these groups, we realize they can meet a lot of needs. But the most pressing, the most urgent need we have is to follow Christ. So we pray that in all our, um, by lack of a better word, programs, we're not about programs, we're about people. Anytime we have a program, it's all about people. How can we impact people? How can we impact them to follow Jesus? That's what we want to do in all of these. So we pray that you'll engage. We have women's Bible studies. We have one that meets on Zoom on Thursdays. My wife starts one this Tuesday, and it's not just a Bible study. The intent is study the Word of God, get into groups, get to know people, be encouraged in your faith. We all need this. If you don't have some other Christians or some other people that you sit down with and pray and read Scripture and be encouraged in your faith and that you can start to open up with, and they can know your hurts and pains. You desperately need that. We want to be a church where we are faithful to Jesus' strategy to make disciples. It starts with evangelism, come and see. But then we get people growing in various groups, in various places. So we pray that you'll be faithful with it. As we end today, right after service, some of you were there between services, we've got our ministry fair going on. This is an opportunity for you to do two things to learn about these ministries so you can get involved in them and also to learn how you can serve in these ministries. Many of our ministries, we need more people helping. So go around to the tables. We've got leaders there. If a table is a little thin on leaders, realize that probably means that they need more help, people helping with them. So we, we want to engage the body. We need you. We don't believe church is to be a place where we come and primarily just sit and listen. It's to be a place where we come with the body, gather and worship, and we get involved and we get engaged. Church, I pray that it be said of IC that we're a church that seeks to faithfully follow Jesus by following his strategy to make disciples. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the body here. It's so good to worship with the saints. And Lord, I confess, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the task of seeking to lead the church, to be a disciple-making church. I know I can't do it. I know our elders can't do it. Lord, this is a call upon the whole congregation to faithfully engage in making disciples, to faithfully engage in helping others mature, to pour our life out into others, and at the same time, to seek out people who can invest in us. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be wise. Help us to pursue Christ's likeness. May we be a church that reflects the body of Jesus more fully, more holy. May we reflect Jesus' glory and goodness and grace to this world. Lord, I thank you for the saints here. I pray that they're encouraged. I believe there is joy in following you. 
There's no more joyous way to live. So may we live this way. May we delight in it. May we delight in Christ. And Lord, if there are any here today who don't know Jesus, that they haven't repented and believed, may today be the day of salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.